0: Welcome to The Higher Edge, a podcast for the brightest minds in higher education to hear from the change makers and rule breakers that are driving meaningful, impactful change for colleges and universities across the country. From improving operations to supporting student success, these are the stories that give you the higher edge. And now, your host, Brendan Aldridge.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to The Higher Edge. I'm Brendan Aldrich and I'm here today with Aaron Zentner, who is the Dean of Institutional Effectiveness, Research Analytics, Accessibility, Accreditation, Planning, and Grant Development for the Coastline Community College, a multi-campus district that's in the heart of Orange County, California. And fast fact, Coastline has been a leader in online education for over 46 years, having first been founded in 1976 as the distance learning college for the Coast Community College District. Aaron, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us here on The Higher Edge. Thank you so much for having me today. You know, Aaron, now, you and I have known each other for some time, and I often think of you as sort of an activist researcher within the California community colleges, because you are constantly working across your campus and the system to promote not just data, but the integration and the use of data to create new opportunities. How do you feel about uh, traditional research versus, I don't know, maybe we call it activated research?
2: So I think traditional research and methods and ways we apply things really comes through as the hallmarks of really trying to build out new methods and approaches to engaging our stakeholders, community, students, and the like. Now, traditional research, and I do a lot of publications myself and author a ton of books, is Really, a great way to start. It helps you almost like I said, build that foundation and really understand the concepts of validity and the like. But also, when you want to make change, you got to remember you can't do everything that everyone else is doing. You know, no one ever made a difference by being like everyone else. Taking that kind of mindset and approach to really sharing information and really building out data and the utilization of that has been the crux of, of the work that I've been doing over my career, and, and it's kind of coming from you know, not having a traditional background, you know not being a first-generation college student, not being surrounded by college or the terminology or the backgrounds of that, and really o- opening my eyes to a brand new world when I came into higher education just as a student, student worker, all the way through where I'm at today. And trying to say, you know, how do we be inclusive of others, hear their diverse perspectives, and share that information that can really engage. So a lot of the times we think, you know, when we talk about data, you have to have that in your title. But what we found is that data belongs to everyone. And we create data, we curate it, we look at it directly, indirectly. And how do we leverage that? And I, I just think of looking at as just a, a component of research, while well, research is very important to help move and grow the pool of knowledge, I feel that activating research and having more active analytics and looking at things very consistently helps us make better decisions. And I think, like I said, it doesn't just belong to the decision makers. It belongs to all of us. I, I think about this morning, how many times could I press the snooze button before <laughs> I had to wake up for this interview? And so those are the type of things that – that those are analytics that we do personally on a day-to-day basis. So that's kind of the approaches I've used in
1: in my career. You know, when you mention research in itself, you know, there's so many variations these days on the research role in higher education. We've got the traditional institutional research, but that can extend into a lot of other areas, right? So we've got like institutional effectiveness, analysis, planning, and more. I mean, when you look at the evolving role of research within an institution, what do you think about where we are and, and where we're going?
2: I used to see research very segmented into specific areas, faculty research, academic research, public research, and then it moved into more operational research, which was more institutional reporting. And as you watch the evolution of that coming over time to say, how do you utilize now reporting metrics into operational effectiveness metrics to to look at trends over time with planning and decision making, and now taking that a step further to say, well, what are the analytics of behaviors of characteristics not just internally to our organizations but externally and the factors the quantitative qualitative objective subjective factors that can influence the the totality of the total experience for our students our employees and our community and really taking that and looking that evolution going forward to say you know it's time to kind of to separate or break down the walls or barriers or silos between us and say how do we really integrate this together and like I said in, the, in kind of the previous question, you don't have to have the uh, term data in your title in order to engage with it, to activate it, to utilize it. And, and I think one of the things that, that really stood out to me is it's an emerging trend, and maybe not just in California, but in other schools that – Marrying data doesn't just come from a reporting office. It's now a part of the conversation at every table. And how do we continue to facilitate that?
1: That makes sense. You know, when you think about, um, you know, you talk about activating data. And I know we've had this conversation before about this idea of uh, data-driven. You know, we hear people talk about, you know, oh, I'm data-driven or, And a lot of people refer data informed be, you know, for different reasons. What do you see as the difference between these? When you take a look at data driven versus data informed, what do you see as the difference between those two for most people?
2: So I, I really think about it through the lens of application, you know, and when I remember here's a story that I had, I was sitting in a room with faculty and managers and classified professionals and I remember talking as one of the, the guests uh, as to help lead their planning session. And I used that phrase data-driven. And, and this was a little bit earlier in my career. And someone was like, data doesn't drive anything. It informs. And that, and that whole concept just, just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, you're right. You are correct. And once again, no one from data, someone from a completely different background. I think it was even like a humanities background that pointed that out. And I sat there and I started thinking about that. I said, you know what? If we looked at when we're trying to go somewhere, the reality is, is data is not behind the wheel. You know, data is typically the fuel that fuels our ideas, right. helps us understand. It could be the navigation points that may point us in a certain direction and let us know, like, hey, a gas station's coming up, a charging station's coming up, or here's a Wendy's to go get a frosty, if that's what you want. You know, and to look at those types of things to say, okay, data's an informant, not a driver. We're the drivers of the decisions. We're the ones making the decisions and deal with the consequences on either end, the data doesn't. But then thinking about that a bit further, as we start saying, you know, we wanna build literacy, we wanna build culture, really thinking about what does that mean? And, and I have a good friend who was talking to, I was talking to him the other day who mentioned this to me and I'm not gonna tell you his name, Brendan, but <laughs> when I was talking to him, he brought a concept uh, to me called data empowered. And, and I, I took a day to think about that. It's really that's where we're headed in from data driven that data drives every decision we do now with prescriptive analytics, it could, or if, if you're going on Netflix saying like, Hey, I'm going to do this next. Yes. That, that could be a very good prescription for you or a recommendation to data informed to say hey, X, Y, and Z is around. What do you want to do? to now data empowered to, as we we circle back to the whole concept of data is for everyone, that how do we move that concept forward? You empower people, you inform them, they build knowledge, knowledge builds action, action builds change. And so that's where data can then be leveraged in that way.
1: Data-driven, never really hit right. Data-informed, I was always a big fan of. But I agree with you, when you start hearing about, you know, data-informed does feel a little passive. It's like, well, you're data informed, but is that really helping you get anywhere? And I I love what you're talking about, data empowered, as, as really that more active format. I'm taking that data, I'm hearing it, I'm learning it, and I'm acting on it. Speaking of doing things to help really empower people with data, in 2020, uh, you were the recipient of RP Group's Institutional Effectiveness Project of the Year Award, specifically for your leadership and guidance in the creation of an instructor-led data coach uh, online training course that was called Data Training and Coaching for Higher Education Professionals. Tell us a little bit more about that.
2: So over the years, we had been developing out a series of trainings, of face-to-face trainings, online live trainings, just collaborative spaces, primarily hands-on, really following a traditional data coaching experience where you fill out some worksheets, you go to some dashboards, you try to look and explain data, or you draw off a survey. And while we felt that made some impact, noticing how the organization Coastline is set up. We have four campuses spread throughout Orange County. We're a very non-traditional college. As you mentioned earlier, we were started in 1976 and we were started as a college that was required to be different. We had a TV station at our district and we said, how are we gonna utilize this to escape ability? So in 76, they decided let's create a distance learning college. And for a little bit of history is our president at the time when they started Coastline College and our chancellor had to go up and modify Title V language to allow distance learning to occur. So in 1976, we started having education put on television.
1: The original distance learning.
2: Original distance learning for, for public institutions. And so taking that concept and watching it evolve over time to say, you know in the early 2000s being one of the first pioneers of online education and as we roll out with our new competency based education what does that look like more of an on demand education experience and really like i said being a hopefully what we would call like a trailblazer in education thinking about that in in our training and our engagement and as i mentioned earlier we have four campuses spread throughout Orange County and primarily what everything we do Uh, Pre-pandemic was 83% at a distance. So understanding the environment that we're in, it didn't make sense to have everybody travel to multiple campuses. And what we were thinking is, well, how can we reach the mass of our employees now and give them the skills they need on their time? And not try to segment or try to fit like thirty or forty people on a, on a time frame that no one can agree on and so when we looked at that we wanted to really say, okay, what's the most impactful thing that we can teach you know I'm not going to go in and teach a statistics class while everyone <laughs> would love that they probably weren't looking forward to something like that because i I feel for some reason analytics while we have tons and tons of math across that and data science, I think that just gets coupled into that and we get the fear of I don't like math, so I don't like data analytics, or I don't like research, or I don't like this. And the reality is it's a field of creativity, of critical thinking and synthesis. And really starting with that, you know, putting together and inviting anyone who would like to participate to come through this program in a cross-functional manner to interact and engage. And the first, explaining about, you know, what is inquiry? What are the questions you're trying to answer? Almost, how do you define the right question? How do you, you know, almost create a hypothesis without being so technical about that? And giving everybody the longitude and latitude to really be creative and say, well, what are you interested in? Starting at that point and then introducing, you know, a few traditional research approaches, but really putting it in an applicable manner. That says how does this affect your job, and how can you utilize data to make change? And so that was really the core of that, which then got into well, what various techniques are there? What various data are there? What do you have access to? And then taking individuals through different steps on how to get information. And a whole time across this three to four week course, building upon this project and idea that they're putting through discussion boards and collaboration with peers to continue to refine it by the week four, creating a framework to say, I would like to conduct this study, I would like to look at this analytics, I'd like to create this, and then have them give that presentation to the executive board, to my department, and to it through different ways, through video, through a report, through a memo, through a PowerPoint, and teaching them, hey, when you get to this point of not just conducting research as it's a coaching, how do you facilitate that conversation with others? Because I think it's the hardest point that I've seen is once you have some really cool information, Sometimes someone doesn't want to read a 400-page fact book. They want a one-page infographic on Fast Facts. For me, getting back to the the core of the class was – How do we make a fun and engaging experience that can include everyone? And what I've noticed is we've had almost 100 people go through this. And it's from all walks of the institution, from vice presidents to a lot of part-time faculty. And the great thing about Coastline is we have a variety of expertise in our part-time faculty. Over 70% of our our faculty are part-time because we belong to a multi-college district and you can do that. And so giving those individuals the opportunity where they may be not having an office to go to or not being on campus. It was really, really thought outside the box and then empowering others to say, how can you make change? And that's really the focus of that. And so seeing that going through, working with the state chancellor's office, we made a self-paced program of this. So if you don't have an instructor to lead it, and that's completely free from the Vision Resource Center from the state chancellor's office. And then I just made the newest iteration that's on uh, Canvas Commons, I think we have 166 downloads on it already. And it's now going to be more of a shorter uh, approach that's instructor-led because I think having that time where you can either record or have engagement and then share those different mediums can really engage the different learning styles of what people have. And I think that's really the focus is what's the end game, what we're trying to achieve, and really drawing out that ideal state
0: All colleges and universities face challenges in advancing the mission of higher education. Some problems impeding your progress are known, but others are invisible, hidden, impossible to address. Invoke Learning changes everything. Built on revolutionary technology that's light years beyond anything you've seen yet, our leading-edge data platforms and deep analytic solutions Give institutions of higher education some real-life superpowers to support the entire student journey. Ask questions you never imagined could be answered. Get unprecedented insights that lead to mission-impacting action. What's holding you back today from taking your mission further tomorrow? Find out and discover just how far you can go. Contact Invoke Learning at www.invokelearning.com. Invoke Learning. This is Education Empowered.
1: Continuing innovation from a college that started with innovation, which is fantastic. You know what? Staying just on that topic of innovation for a second, you know, these days, it's like everyone wants to talk about that they're innovative. You know, I'm innovative, you're innovative, we're an innovative company. But then the question really comes down to, are they really innovative, or is this just a label they put out because it's what people want to hear, right? Right. So, in fact, you took this question and then created an awesome game called Cards Against Innovation. How did that come about?
2: Everyone wants to do innovation. It's the coolest thing to do. You know, it's exciting to do, to create new things. Everybody believes every innovation must be a breakthrough innovation. And as as we know, innovation has a variety of steps from fast second innovations to incremental innovations. There's a variety of things that you can do. Blue ocean strategy, red ocean strategy, so many things. But... When we think about innovation, the question that comes up is, for me is, are you ready? You know, everyone's like, yeah, let's go. And then when it comes to the work, like, well, that's that's not our culture. We can't question the norm. What do you mean? This is how we've traditionally done this, especially in higher education. And so what my research team and I did, and we published an article on this, was we looked at, at literature over time, and we looked at, what were the common themes that emerged throughout innovation models that would say, hey, what really like leads to innovation? So we got something like 1,400 variables, something of that magnitude. We recategorized them and modeled it down and whittled it down to four main areas. After the four, four main areas, we looked at the frequencies by where um, these different factors and behaviors would occur. And so then, based on that, we created a game called, for higher education primarily, called Cards Against Innovation for Higher Education Professionals. And in that game, it's a game where you are given a set of cards and situations. So, for example, a situation was, let's do Guided Pathways, or Accreditation Report is coming up. And so, and the cards, that the response that everyone gets to read is, what is a typical response from your college? Like, let's start a committee, not my job. I have to talk to the union. Like, I, I think those are the types of things that, hey, just send an email to everyone and maybe someone will read it. And, and I think those are the ideas. And we, we purposely made, there's I think 80 cards in the set of, of just funny responses, but we went through and engaged like a bunch of colleagues to say, what would be something really silly that you hear on a consistent basis? And so then as a step further after producing this game in a pretty masculine, like 20 boards of it, we had a a college-wide event. And during the event, we took the game out, and we had everybody go through and play at different tables and how to play it. And there was a lot of laughter, but at the end, we had a conversation to say, this is really an awareness tool to say, how are we behaving is this the common action to say, you know, are we structurally not there? Do we not have leadership? Do we not have support? You know, do we not have a mindset for this? And it really helped for self-reflection. And we even had board members play this, and they had a blast. And then we ended up taking it up to a statewide conference and doing it there. And then I just did it with a, one of my doctoral classes. and and they And they were just very... Almost, I don't say the word impressed, but I think very self-reflecting and like, wow, that tap is all the time at my institution. And, and that was the purpose of that game because the reality is you, we could have sent out that publication report like, hey, you want to read this report with all these tables and charts? Not really. I think that's the thing of how do we bring it to life and put it in, in their shoes? I'll give you a short, a brief demo about what, how the game works.
1: Aaron, come on. Now, we've got to play a round of Cards Against Innovation. Can we, can we do that?
2: We can, I have it right here in front of me. And so what we'll do is I just want to kind of explain how it works. It's kind of like a cards against humanity game where you're given a situation. And and in this case, it's a situation related to higher education. And so what happens is all the players are given a deck of uh, a stack of cards and they pick the most applicable, not applicable, or what they find is hilarious response to the situation everybody puts their cards over and then t- puts in their card. They get flipped over at once. We all read them. We laugh. And then the group votes to say, which is the most applicable or what do they find the most hilarious or the most obnoxious? And and whoever's card that is, they win that round. And so a step further is we then have, if we have time for conversation, we talk about, well, what does this really affect? Is it the mindset? Is it structure? Is it the leadership? And we talk about how do you Mitigate
1: or change that. We're going to go ahead and pull up a, a situation. So let's let's pull up. What's what's the situation we're going to get?
2: So the situation I have, and it's pretty applicable today. It says enrollment is declining by ten percent. What can we do? And so we have eighty different card options, but I just picked out a handful, which I'll read. So okay. the first one is when I was in college, and someone <laughs> gives their anecdota type <laughs> of response. <laughs> And or someone says that won't work here. <laughs> or another one
1: is heard that before.
2: Let's check with three hundred committees what they think. <laughs> let's start a new committee, or print that document and set it on someone else's desk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I and then let's read a book. And then the last one is said. I once heard a student say.
1: And oh, so I am going those for it. No, nope, that is that is gonna be my selection. I'm gonna go for it. You know, I once <laughs> the anecdotal response. It's classic. Yes,
2: the most the most anecdata that we can get. And like I said, they're just silly like that. And then there's other ones like, where's the data to support that? Take it to negotiations. <laughs> That's not my job. And and those type of responses, which we hear all the time, really helps us think, well, is that a mindset thing? Is that a structural thing? How can we get around that when we're trying to resolve a problem or if there's an opportunity that exists? It's not always a problem to solve, but you know, what opportunity exists that we can say that, but how do we find in higher education that it gets stuck in some of the what I call institutional swirl where we never get anything done when we say, Hey, we need to jump on this opportunity but like, yeah, in two years when we get this done, like, wait, oh what, wait, what? Like <laughs> a week. Let's
1: go. I am I am, so, I am seeing a future where cards against innovation is going to need to be played at every leadership retreat across the country.
2: I think it would be it's it's really fun and and like I said, one day when we get to hang out again, we'll we'll take a few of our friends <laughs> and have a great time with it.
1: It almost makes my next question feel silly with everything that's been going on the the creation of the the, the instructor led online course to help people better understand and how to use data. And then the, the Cards Against Innovation program that you've created. Uh, my next question was actually, what are you doing to disrupt higher education? The better question might be, what aren't you doing yet to disrupt higher education?
2: Some of the things that we've looked at over time, in, in just look at the research, we'll talk about a data type of approach is you know partnering with one of, some of our friends and colleagues to say, what's that total student experience? What is that data that we don't have? You know, being able to leverage the capability of our friends and colleagues and also the public data. Uh, through a variety of entities and systems, can really look beyond just some characteristical data, but behavioral data of students in addition to environmental data around the students. I think that's going to be a big turning point, is really looking at, you know, there's big data and what I call like mega data. And how do you get that mega data down to like those quick decisions? And so, really leveraging that, I feel that. As we start moving forward, that's some of the things that we're going to be looking at and and really building upon. And and just once again, following in the footsteps of some of our colleagues that are really advancing that work at their institutions. Uh, For us at my local college, some of the things that we're looking to do is over this last couple weeks, we've been putting together, we belong to a consortium of nine schools that we got a grant for. One of the things that we did with that was to say, what is reimagining education? And so we live in an on-demand society why can't education be that way? We look at the the for-profit institutions that are doing a a service for students at at a pretty high cost for that type of thing where you can get education on demand. But why can't two-year colleges and public institutions be a fast second to that while others have started that like a disruption or almost a breakthrough type of an innovation? How can we respond to that in a manner through our public sector? So, being a part of this consortium of nine colleges, Coastline has been the first college, and I almost want to say the first college ever in the state of California of two-year public colleges, to submit our accreditation application for substantive change in order to offer competency-based education, and really rethinking, like I said earlier, creating the on-demand educational experience for students. And, and we feel that we go back to our roots in 1976 of, you know, no one's ever done t- on education on TV no one's really, Not many people have done online. People don't agree with that. A lot of people don't agree with the competency-based thing. It's okay. Like I said, no one made a difference by being like anyone else. And I think that continually resonates. Or if you're not progressing, you're regressing. And thinking about those concepts of where's our next thing and where's our next evolution and how do we meet our students where they are. And I think that's really those key aspects. Walking through the shoes of someone else and what is that like giving like emotional experiences where you may only be able to read about it or watch it on like a YouTube video but actually living through that you know going through those different places and not just visiting places but we have faculty that are going to these museums that maybe you may not have access to recording a lecture on a 360 camera and letting the student have that or creating digital forensic labs where yeah, you, we may not have an actual lab on campus, but the students can go in, take evidence, and do digital forensics and learn that. And so that's really reshaping what does that mean to learn differently? And how to, and for me, it's really about the experience. And the more I teach, I teach for like six, seven years, how do you give those students the experience that's an applicable experience that's beyond just um, the traditional learning? And so those are a few of the factors that we're doing and we're looking to do in the near future and continue to do to, to really disrupt what's happening in higher education.
1: You know, I, I just, the uh, last question I had for you is uh, talking about uh, people who may be listening, who might be looking at a career in institutional research, or just looking to gain from the experience that you've had moving through your career to this point. I wonder if there's a piece of advice or a story you might share that could give them the higher edge, you know, maybe something that helped uh, you see things differently or advance your work more successfully. What do you think?
2: I think to me is always looking forward to and asking the questions, what's next? You know, some of the things that's easy in in all of our careers and jobs is to be comfortable. You know, comfort is the enemy of progress. And and I think while it's easy to be comfortable, easily to feel safe and secure in one space. You know, taking calculated risks, putting yourself out there are kind of key things that I would recommend doing, you know, asking questions, not asking like 4,000 questions, but asking questions with a purpose to really make change, you know, getting involved, invest in yourself, and, and look at, you know, what what's the end game that you want? Is your goal to be someone conducting research, like a research assistant, a research analyst, to lead research efforts, to lead planning efforts, to lead collaboration and grant efforts, you know, to facilitate innovation, what is that ideal state? And then reverse engineer that back is how do I get there? How do I position myself and not just in different parts of the organization, but how do I get involved? How do I learn about things? You know, learning can happen in a traditional classroom, but it can also happen through hands-on approaches. And I think those types of things it's taking that initiative is, is one of the key things that, that anybody can do. And and that's the beauty of working in the field that we're in is that it fosters uh, personal growth and enrichment and I think take advantage of that and leverage that to your capability I, I look at other things in primarily higher education primarily related to institutional effectiveness and in data is you know we want to continue to support that that approach of, of really not just data literacy but data empowerment empowering others with information and like I said What's the purpose of information? What's the purpose of the data? Is it because we have a ton of it or is it to really make change? And, and I think that's being a change agent is, is something that's very exciting that, that this work brings. So that
1: with would be some of the and lots, lots and lots of opportunity to do that as we've talked about with the evolving role of research into all these other areas within the institution. So, well, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and sharing your experience with us.
2: definitely know it's been always fun hanging out. So I'll look to talk to you later about some other fun projects.
1: (laughs) Sounds good. Hey, for our listeners, we've been talking to Aaron Zentner, who is the Dean of Institutional Effectiveness Research Analytics Accessibility Accreditation Planning and Grant Development for Coastline Community College. Hey, uh, Aaron, would it be all right if listeners would like to reach out to you with questions about today's episode? Most definitely. I
2: I always enjoy engaging in the conversations around data, research, analytics, planning, innovation, anything, actually. So, yeah, I'm happy to to meet, chat, and just uh, share ideas.
1: If you're listening you'd like to continue the conversation with Aaron, just drop an email to Aaron at thehigheredge.com. That's Aaron, A-E-R-O-N, at thehigheredge.com. Aaron, such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks again for coming on and being a guest with us on The Higher Edge. And for everyone listening, I'm Brendan Aldrich, and we'll talk soon.
0: Thanks for listening to The Higher Edge. For more, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, leave us a review if you loved the show, and be sure to connect with Brendan on LinkedIn. Know someone who's making big changes at their higher ed institution that belongs on this podcast? Drop us a line at podcasts at thehigheredge.com. The Higher Edge is sponsored by Invoke Learning in partnership with Westport Studios. Views and opinions expressed by individuals during the podcast are their own. See how Invoke Learning is empowering higher education at invokelearning.com.